Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I'd like to welcome everybody here on this sort of cool winter morning. Um, I hope you all will join your friends at coffee hour and greet each other and also make sure that you take the um, pew books on the end of the aisle and sign in your name and, and, and like to welcome any special visitors who are here this morning. And um, Dan Trainer has a word on mission. And before he comes up, I'd just like to say that I hope that you all will be coming to the wonderful concert this evening at 7 o'clock. So hope to see you there. Dan. Hello. Our mission minute today is that um, on January 1st, 10 of us from this church will be going to Texas. Uh, we fly into San Antonio and drive four hours south right along the Rio Grande River, and we're going to be rebuilding a house that was destroyed in Hurricane Alex a few years ago and helping some of the children that have been coming up crossing the river from Guatemala and Honduras. Um, Ted Pollack once said that if you can afford the airplane fare to get there, our church will raise the funds to house and feed and all the other expenses. So in order to make raise some funds, not this Monday, but next Monday, December 22nd, we're going to have a play here, It's a Wonderful Life, and that, the proceeds of that will go to support our mission trip. We are selling tickets after church this week and next week and at the door, so we're just asking for your help to support our mission to Texas. Thank you. We'll continue with our prelude. Mary heard the angel's message. Greetings, Mary, favored one. Do not fear, for God is with you. You will one day bear God's Son. Filled with questions, filled with wonder, she proclaimed her faith in God. May it be as you have spoken, I am the servant of the Lord. When she heard her cousin's greeting, Mary's heart was filled with joy. 
So she sang of God's great blessing promised in her baby boy. God has looked on me with favor, so I sing this song of praise. God has worked the proud to scatter, humble, hungry ones to raise. May we too be filled with wonder, singing with the hosts above. We have come to learn God's wonders of God's wisdom, grace, and love. In this Advent, we remember how God's love removed our shame. We are given God's redemption. Now in thanks, we praise God's name. Let us join together in the unison prayer of the day. Let us pray. Merciful God, while we are entreating you to hear our prayer, there is a voice crying out to us in the darkness, the voice of John the Baptist testifying to the light to come. We are those called to watch and wait for the dawning, to believe for what will yet be. Some of us may wait in the darkness of broken dreams, of a fearful medical diagnosis, 
of deep pain emotionally or physically, and all of us wait in the darkness of societal ills, of hunger and homelessness, abuse in families, and war between nations. As we approach this day, enable us to hear the voice of peace that passes understanding. Help us to trust your promises of hope and peace, and help us to prepare in our worship to share the message our world needs. For Jesus' sake, amen. When John the Baptist preached for all to hear, he said, Repent, the kingdom of God has come near. Prepare the Lord's own way, make his paths straight. It's time to change, we can no longer wait. But John proclaimed that they should change their ways, for trees that don't bear fruit are set ablaze. Compassionate God, though we believe you care for us, we confess our struggle with the fear that grips us in the darkness within our souls and in the world. There are pits of despair from which we cannot rescue ourselves and needs we cannot supply. Our only hope is in your deliverance, in the coming of Christ to enlighten our way, to lift us up and lead us into new life. But we wait with impatience and are vulnerable to becoming discouraged and doubtful. We confess that we are in danger of settling for what is now, instead of waiting in expectancy for what is coming. Forgive our sin, please. In Jesus' name, amen. God's voice speaks to our present darkness and the nighttime of our fear, promising to make all things new. Jesus the Christ, the light and the Savior of the world, will come to rescue us. In Christ, the light of God's forgiveness ever shines upon us to set us free from bondage to sin and the light of God's love from bondage to fear. Because of the specific time reference in today's Old Testament lesson, it can be dated to around 742 before Christ. The dominant empire of the time, Assyria, is threatening to take over Israel. 
In these frightening times, Isaiah receives his visionary call to speak for God. It's both good news and bad news. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And the Lord said, Go and say to this people, Keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull, and stop their ears, and shut their eyes, so that they may not look with their eyes, and listen with their ears, and comprehend with their minds, and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And the Lord said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Fear not, I bring good news. A child is to be born in Bethlehem. When I first saw the angel, I was scared, but I am a shepherd, so I looked at my sheep. You know what I saw? Calm. Oh, they saw the angel too, but they were not afraid. I know, I have seen them when predators have come around. They were calm. They seemed to be filled with peace. After that, I did not have any fear. An angel? 
Angels appear to kings and priests, not shepherds in a field. Even the greatest king, King David, never saw an angel. Something is different. The world is changing. When God is speaking to average humans, I don't know. All I know is that this is something new, and I don't want to miss it. Let us go and see the baby in Bethlehem. The shepherds, I told you, were scared and stunned. Too much hard work or too much hot sun. That's what they thought. That's how they explained. Perplexed and afraid, they loudly complained. But the sheep and the song brought peace and belief. They rejoiced when when they saw them. They felt relief. They went to the stable and worshipped the Lord, then left and began to spread the good word. The animals were calm, quieter than normal. They were often noisy and never too formal. They always were eating or else they were sleeping. The stable required continuous sweeping. But on that great day, they were strangely in awe at the sight of the babe and all that they saw. It's as if they knew that it was God who had hushed them, if it was God who had fed and watered and brushed them. They knew we believed that God had been able to work a miracle there in that stable, straw-filled stable. So light a candle and touch a lamb's fleece, for in this humble place God brings world peace. Hey, shepherds, angel, are, uh, just a question. Are, are you heading back to heaven? Yes, I thought that might be the case. And um, just a couple questions for you shepherds. Uh, was, was it cold at night in the field watching the angels sing? Probably cold. Do, do you suppose... Do you suppose that you really saw an angel, or, or did you just have a bad stomachache because of what you had for supper? You think you just saw an angel? I just figured that was, might be the case. Take a look over here on the calendar. You know, um, for the Advent calendar, we have opened up some interesting things, and um, we've got some ones to open up this week. And Open up that one. Let's see. What's this? A sheep, yeah. We've got some sheep. And this one, this is actually the innkeeper, I think. And that will show up this week. But, oh, look at this. We've got a lot of sheep. How many sheep do you suppose they had? You're going to be able to open up sheep. How many sheep do they suppose they had? More than 20? Yeah, I think they probably had a lot of sheep, so we'll probably have more sheep to open, right? Because they had a whole flock of sheep. And uh, those are things to open up during the week. It's been kind of wonderful to be able to have this calendar, and not here, but some of you have the calendar at home to open too and put stickers on. But this week it's going to be mostly what? Sheep. And if it's either sheep or shepherds. Yeah. Now, in the Bible, by the way... There is a word that looks like it should be a shepherd, but it's really translated herdsman. And there's another word for shepherd. 
And those are two different kinds of things. A herdsman uses the stick like you have here and makes the sheep go, right? Kind of pushes the sheep and punches them and says, go this way, and kind of steers the sheep. But a shepherd watches them. But the shepherd walks and the sheep follow behind because they know the shepherd. Kind of an interesting image. A herdsman who prods the sheep or a shepherd whom the sheep follow. Now, as an angel, what do you suppose they were supposed to be? Were they really to be shepherds or herdsmen? Interesting problem, huh? Actually, they were supposed to be shepherds because Jesus himself was the shepherd. Sometimes people say to me, as a pastor, am I the shepherd of this flock? And is it my job to fleece the sheep? That's what they want to know. And the answer is absolutely not. There is one shepherd of the sheep. Jesus is the one shepherd of the sheep, and I'm just a sheepdog that tries to corral the sheep once a week and bark at them. Okay? But there's one shepherd. Let's pray about this. Lord God, we give you thanks for this day and for the opportunity to learn more about how you came to earth. We are thankful that you would use shepherds and angels to spread your good news. Be with us, and we ask that somehow you would use us, too, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, have a great time as you head off to heaven, and you go to the uh, ancient corral and uh, the sheep pen, and you can take all the other kids with you to Sunday school. Maybe they'll follow you. almost seems strange that at this point in Advent we would be reading from the pen of Paul these words from Thessalonians, his letter. We appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord. This is good news for Carrie and me, by the way. Kind of like Paul is saying, hey, the congregation needs to respect you. That means we have a responsibility to be respected. Yeah, that's the hard part. Um, Be at peace among yourselves. Hmm. We urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil with evil. 
always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. I'm so grateful that Paul wrote, give thanks in all circumstances, not give thanks for all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the words of the prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. Beloved, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I solemnly command you by the Lord that this letter be read to all, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There is a collect that we can share. In our mourning, Lord, bring us comfort. In our despair, Lord, give us light. In our weakness, Lord, give us strength and courage. In our foolishness, Lord, give us wisdom. In the darkness of the world, Lord, give us love, for your love becomes our light. And our Advent reading for today from the Gospel of John speaks of that light. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the true light, but he came to testify to the light. And this is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? John confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? John said, I am not. Are you the prophet? John answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Well, if Carrie and I look a little lost because everything looks different up here, that's because we kind of feel that way a little bit. Um, you probably wonder, who did all this? Who came in the middle of the night? Well, it's Dave Bruins and his crew that readjusted everything. And this is all set up for the concert that will be here tonight. A concert with our choir and a complete orchestra. All their chairs are over here. And children and handbells. It's going to be wonderful. I'm just a little concerned that it's going to be preceded with a ham supper so that people might be quite somnolent about the time they arrive here for the concert. But the concert, I've listened to the music, and much of the music has been composed by a gentleman who sings in our choir. And he is absolutely marvelous as a composer and an arranger. I'm looking forward to it anyway. But that's why things are kind of different. On the plane ride home from Kenya this summer, I tried to do a little reading. I mean, you're confined to a plane and not much space, and the trip was very, very long. And it was there that I came upon a verse I had not yet noticed in 1 Timothy, and I made a note about it to myself, and I stuck it in my travel vest. I had one of those khaki travel vests made of cotton. It's got pockets everywhere. You can put your camera in one and your passport in one and your airline tickets in another. And some, uh, You can hide a lot of things in this, in this vest. And I forgot about that I had made a note on that verse. And my vest was kind of laundered and fallen. But I found the note. Here was the verse. Without any doubt, the mystery of our religion is great. He was revealed in flesh, vindicated in spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the Gentiles, believed in throughout the world, taken up in glory. And I thought at that time on the plane, I need to pull out this verse sometime during Advent. I mean, this is not a verse normally read during the Advent season in the life of the church. And yet, you know, as I looked at that, I thought, here is one of the best summaries in all of the Bible to describe Advent and Christmastide. The religion, the mystery of our religion is great. Well, today we were able to read again prophecies from Isaiah this Thessalonians passage about rejoicing, because this is the Sunday of the pink candle, which is the rejoicing candle. Paul's letter contains uh, that instruction about rejoicing always and praying without ceasing. We could do some theological ruminating on the first chapter of the Gospel of John, from which this morning's readings uh, were taken, where Jesus is identified as the true light that enlightens everyone, connects the light to creation and fulfillment of prophecy. And then I thought, you know what, maybe it would be better if we looked at what is known as the alternative text from Luke 1 for this Sunday in Advent. That is a passage where Mary has just heard the announcement from the angel Gabriel and hurries off to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is herself pregnant. 
some churches actually celebrate this event back in the spring of the year on a holiday known as the Visitation of Mary. Well, it sort of makes sense, doesn't it? If you reckon that the pregnancy had to start some nine months prior to the celebration of the resulting birth, if that celebration is in December, it's got to be in the spring you have the Visitation of Mary. Bruce Manning Metzger, a professor that Rod Froman over here, and he's teaching a marvelous course, by the way. Uh, Rod, you're doing a fabulous job with that. Thank you so much for being here. I think this is the last today of the series, and then you pick it up again in January. Um, we, we had Bruce Manning Metzger as a professor of Greek studies. But he was not only that, he was chairman of the board that put together the new Revised Standard Version of the Bible, and that's the copy of the translation that you have in these pews. One day, Bruce Metzger read to us about how Mary, having been visited by the angel, left town to visit her cousin. And in Dr. Metzger's approved version, which is in these Bibles, the verse reads this way. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb. I mean, actually, the text suggests that the baby kicked. Dr. Metzger elected to read from the Rodolphus Dickinson translation of this same passage. Now, in the preface of his translation, Mr. Dickinson entitles it A New and Corrected Version of the New Testament. It was published in 1833 in Boston. But in the opening notes, Mr. Dickinson wrote, This author condemns the quaint monotony and affected solemnity of the King James Version with its frequently rude and barbarous attire, and he declares his purpose to adorn the scriptures with a splendid and sweetly flowing diction suited to the use of accomplished and refined persons. So, this is the same verse in Dickinson's translation. When Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the embryo was joyfully agitated. (laughs) I kind of think that his translation sounds kind of obstetrically obtuse, don't you think? But I have wondered about the uh, early announcement to Mary or to Joseph by an angel, and I've wondered how I would have reacted Reverend Brian Bachknight received a phone call very late one evening, and the voice of a woman on the other end of the line said, May I speak to Martha, please? And he said, Well, there's no one here by that name. Click. A few seconds later, the phone rang again. It was the same woman. May I speak to Martha, please? And again, Brian said, There is no one here by that name. The call ended. And a few seconds more, the phone rang a third time. May I speak to Martha, please? Reverend Bockdite responded using all of the restraint that he could muster. Ma'am, there is no one here by that name. Maybe you are dialing the wrong number. 
And she said to him, Listen, Sonny, I am not dialing the wrong number. You are answering the wrong phone. Mary seemed to know the voice of the one who addressed her. She somehow intuited that God was speaking. But it's still pretty mysterious to me, even though Mary is the biblical image of absolute trust. My favorite angel is Clarence. He seems to appear on TV every year about this time, helping George Bailey discover that he has a purpose for his life. I, actually, if you take a look a little further in your bulletin, a week from tomorrow night, Clarence will be here in the chancel. What a great evening that will be. Clarence takes uh, George Bailey on a tour of Pottersville, it's a wonderful life, hits each of us with a reminder how we are valued and how we would take our value even from a humble, bumbling, wingless angel like Clarence. I never really have had good answers for the theological questions that people sometimes ask. I used to get a lot of them when that show was airing Touched by an Angel. People would call the church office and they would quote whole portions of the show verbatim. If you remember the show, it kind of, each week the angels were assigned a new case and determined how best to make an opening for God's will and grace in human affairs. If you venture out into cyberspace and you go on the internet, you will find whole web pages and links dedicated to angels. There are electronic collections of stories of people's lives who have been influenced one way or the other by angels, it is fascinating that in a world of such exponentially growing technology, we are still moved by that which appears to be transcendent. We can only imagine how Mary would have felt when an angel addressed her. What flashed through Joseph's mind when an angel spoke to him We can picture the shepherds biding in the field, the parking lot attendants of the ancient world. They were working the night shift. An angel appeared and spoke. It would have been a lot more understandable if the text had told us that one of the shepherds turned to the others and said, Hey, Abe. You've been passing around a wineskin circle one or two times too many? What'd you say? Were those white things uh, just some clean sheep? Anybody here washed the sheep last night? What was the singing all about? Am I the only one who heard the singing? What would you reckon? If you were an unmarried woman, poor, living in a forgotten, depressed, and often oppressed part of the world, and you were greeted one day by a man dressed in white who told you that you were going to have a baby, and this man is not a gynecologist. He's an angel. Luke says that Mary was much perplexed. This is Bible talk 
to say that she was scared out of her wits. The angel is saying to her, guess who is going to help God? Strange, isn't it? Barclay once well said, God does not choose a person for ease and comfort and selfish joy, but for a task that will take all that head and heart and hand can bring to it. God chooses a person in order to use him. Theologian Trudy Bush believes that the special popularity of angels at this time of year suggests that they function as a kind of Santa Claus for grown-ups. And it really misses their power. Maybe celebrating Christmas without its religious significance has left secular folk feeling empty and angels and pictures of them kind of fill that void, becoming a sentimental substitute for deep abiding faith in the Christ. Mary was called the favored one by an angel. She didn't feel favored at first. Maybe she knew enough about the real living God of Israel that she knew that a message from God might be something that would leave someone perplexed. And did you notice how Mary's encounter with the angel ever ended when you've read through the Bible and the story of this? Mary doesn't say, Now I know I'm going to be protected and comforted for the rest of my life by my guardian angel. She says... Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your words. What she is saying is this. I'm not sure what all this means, but I'm here. I'm ready to be of service in the work of God. Maybe this is why it has been a tradition of the church to say that Mary was the very first of all the disciples, the first person in the gospel to be called by God. It's wonderful that God should use humble, simple people. On Christmas Eve, in 1642... A humble farmer's wife in England went into labor and an hour or two after midnight on Christmas morning, she gave birth to a boy who possessed what in my mind is the greatest mind in modern science. Isaac Newton, the son of a yeoman father who could neither read nor write, became the preeminent thinker who produced discoveries in mathematics and physics and optics and astronomy. At 23, he had already established the elements of differential calculus, and soon after, he created the reflecting telescope, he described the properties of light, and at 45, secured his phenomenal reputation by publishing Principles of Mathematics, a treatise on universal gravitation that would forever alter humanity's vision of the cosmos. And most of us, when we were growing up, had this picture of him underneath an apple tree and fruit all around him, coming up with the concept of gravity. But, on another Christmas Eve, 2,000 years ago, 
a similarly unpretentious woman went into labor and gave birth. Her name was Mary, and her child was destined to make a greater impact on the world than that of Newton or anyone else. Jesus presented to the world incredible discoveries, new ways of looking at things, not in mathematics, but in morals. Not in physics, but in metaphysics. Not in things of science, but in things of the spirit. Not in the law of gravity, but through the law of God. He disclosed it, he unlocked it, and he gave it to us. And I dare say, we have a problem in our nation. We look for all of our answers in mathematics and science, but not in morals. We look for our answers in physics, not in metaphysics. I mean, these things are important. But one of the founders of this country, the only clergyman, by the way, to sign the Declaration of Independence, John Witherspoon, once wrote, Without your Christian faith, democracy will come to an end. Fascinating, isn't it? You think about the world and where democracy thrives. How do we make sense of all this? Here we are with this mysterium tremendum, unfathomable, uncontrollable, indescribable, the source of light, this Jesus Christ, Without any doubt, the mystery of our religion is great. He was revealed in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the Gentiles, believed in throughout the world, taken up in glory. What practical way do we live something out like that, that we can grasp? Now, as a teenager, Steve had to set up things for the milking every morning. He would get up as early as four to help his dad milk the cows and do the chores on the farm. You know, not that long ago, when 40% of our population in the United States were involved in agriculture. Things a little different now. Not in Steve's day when he was a teenager. The family struggled to meet the challenges of the farm. On one occasion, Steve overheard his parents talking. They were trying to figure a way to allow him to sleep longer so he would be able to do better in school. But because of the demands of the farm, it was necessary to start with the milking and the feeding each day, and they did that at 4 a.m. There were no options. From the conversation and tone of their voices, it occurred to this young man how special he was to his parents, and how much his dad loved him. That inspired him to spring out of bed whenever his dad wakened him at four, and they would go to the barn together. 
But this particular Christmas Eve, Steve had a pretty heavy heart. He wanted to get something for his dad, but he just didn't have any cash. He wanted to find a way to show his love for his dad. And then he had an idea. He would be up by no later than two. So he got up early in the morning and he did the feeding and all of the milking. It was a gesture of love. And then at four that Christmas morning, his dad called him and his dad headed to the barn. Steve stayed there under the covers. He could feel his heart beating. He knew what his father was going to discover when he reached into the milk can. And his dad would know who was responsible. Then in a few minutes, he heard his dad come back to the house, came up the stairs to Steve's room, He walked in quietly. His dad could scarcely speak. And he just reached into the bed and took Steve into his arms and said, This is the finest Christmas I have ever had. I love you, son. We are all meant to be mothers of God. That's what Meister Eckhart wrote, a medieval mystic and theologian. And he continued his thinking by saying this, What good is it to me if this eternal birth of the divine Son takes place unceasingly but does not take place within me? And what good is it to me if Mary is full of grace and I am not. With little doubt, we can say the mystery of our religion is great. But perhaps the hardest thing for us will be to reply in faith when God uses some divine messenger somewhere, maybe someone sitting next to you, to say, Greetings, favored ones. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, for nothing will be impossible with God. And if you think so, too, there's a prayer we can use today. Visioning God. We bring to you an offering of faith that waits with hope and anticipation for the dawning of Christ's light in the darkness, energizing the church in mission. We make an offering of our material resources for Christ's purposes. Bless our gifts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
We have a number of prayer requests today, but I want to start by thanking the Van Dorn family for the lovely flowers that you see in our chancel in memory of loved ones. We also give thanks and praise for the many ways that God works God's healing wonders among us, and so we ask for miracles with confidence. We pray for Van Travis Sr. Many of you know Van and Kelly, Van and Kelly Travis. Van the third is known as Chip. This is his father, though, that we are praying for, Van Travis Sr., who has been facing cancer, and they found a new lesion at the base of his spine this week. He continues to be in treatment in Rochester General, and so we are in prayer for Van Sr. and for Clara and those supporting him. We're also praying on behalf of the Travis family, the extended Travis family, for the Grizak family. Pete Grizak, a friend of theirs, passed away this week, and we are in prayer for their um, family that remains, Christy, Brandon, Paige, and Lila. We are also in prayer for Friends of the Roads. Peter Nicosia and his wife Terry and their sons. Peter had suffered a stroke in September and is now in palliative care up at Strong. And so we're in prayer for that family. We had a memorial service on Friday here for, I'm sorry, at Whitehaven on Friday for Trudy Dublin. And we will have a memorial service this Saturday for Dick Wambach, who passed away. His obituary is in this morning's DNC. The memorial service for Dick Wambach will be this Saturday at 11 a.m. And as we come into these Advent times in anticipation of the birth of the baby Jesus, we can also live in anticipation of seeing one another again face to face, and so we uphold all these families who are grieving. Friends, please join me in prayer. God of mystery and might, we praise and worship you for creating us and for giving us stewardship of the rest of your creation. We thank you for your son, Jesus the Christ, born of your handmaid, Mary. We thank you that in Jesus you became flesh and dwelt among us, sharing human hurts and pleasures. May we also, through a ministry of prayer and compassion, share human hurts and pleasures. We delight with our gathered families in the love we share amongst one another. We celebrate new births, fresh starts, and hopeful progress in all stages of life. We also remember, Lord, our loved ones who have joined you before us and look forward with hope to seeing one another in your glorious presence. For those facing illness, we ask that you would heal them as only you can and grant them wholeness of body, mind, and soul. By your Spirit, Lord, make our hearts burn with thanksgiving that we may give as we have received. Intercede for us where anger, misunderstanding, time, or distance has estranged us from loved ones. Breathe your life into lives overshadowed by worry, economic uncertainty, job loss, or lack of direction. Show the lost your way to happiness. Help us not just to pray for peace, but to hear your call to action, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to bind up the brokenhearted, and let the oppressed go free. O Lord our God, in our waiting, you have assisted us by giving this mysterious ministry of prayer that can be enlightened as we learn to pray as your Son, our Savior, taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. 
poetry in worship today. Um, the kids even had some poetry for us, and as we were putting that together, I thought I'd do something different for a benediction, so I wrote a piece of poetry for that too. Thank you, God, for all your servants who proclaim your light each day. Brave and bold like John, they bless us, pointing us to Jesus' way. They proclaim your kingdom's nearness and the things they do and say. May we live in that tradition Fill us with integrity. Take away our vain ambition. May our ruptured anger cease. Make us faithful in our mission. Help us work each day for peace. Go in peace. Serve the Lord.
maybe five pounds already. Yeah, yeah I was going to say they're gone. I didn't so. see them come forward. Maybe you need to grab that. Box. Well.